A lot of amazing uh, theology truth in that last song we sang. That God is so good. That He loves me so. That I will live for Him. That I will do His will. Was struck uh, this conversation I had recently with my brother, who was actually here, the privilege of having him here yesterday. And uh, my brother's a salesman, and we were talking about sales. And he was reflecting on a conversation he had had, and the conversation went along the line of sales. And, and a veteran salesman had said to him, "You know, the key to sales is to show up and to follow up." And he said, you know, you can be as dumb as a rock, but if you do those two things, show up and follow up, you get the sale. And you know, when I was sitting there singing that song and thinking about that song, you know, that, that's, that's true in our Christian lives too. Well, what an amazing impact God wants to have in us and through us if we're willing to show up and follow up. And God does the same thing, doesn't he? What a great, great thing. I want to pray, and then I want to uh, eventually head towards Hebrews here. We're going to stop off in Ephesians, and I hope you have your Bible with you. We're going to look at a, a couple different scriptures tonight. Appreciate being here with you guys yesterday. It's a good day um, for us as a family. Uh, not just my family, but extended family. And again, appreciate the, the warmth and the love that we feel from you guys. Um, my two oldest are two years away from college, and my oldest said to me yesterday, you know, Dad, maybe I'll change my plans and move back here so I can go to this church. <laughs> so well, that says a lot. That says a ton about you guys. I, you know, she's going to be a junior in high school, so I'm sure her plans will change another 40 or 50,000 times between now and the end. But uh, that, that says a lot. says a lot. Uh, let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the incredible testimony of your son, Jesus, who did those very things, showed up and followed up on what you asked him to do and what he said he would do. Lord, thank you for uh, amazing love that motivated that. Love on your part for us. Love on Jesus' part for us. To leave heaven and to die and to come back from the grave. Lord, thanks for the baptism tonight. What a very cool thing. What a very cool testimony. Now I know who Jesus is. What a great thing. Lord, thanks that we know you as well. And pray tonight as we take a look at your word that you would teach us, challenge us, draw us a little closer to yourself. And Lord, again, I just pray that you do that through your word. Do that uh, as we study and think through what you have to say to us. Thank you for your spirit who's here tonight. Ask him, invite him, convict us, challenge us, guide us in truth. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Those of you that are parents or those of you that have been around, uh, maybe brothers and sisters, you picture one of your children sitting in the chair with the bib around their neck. And you have served them some food. You've put it on the table and they have very carefully put the exact amount that they want on their plate. 
And if you want to put more than they think they should have, they let you know that. No, no, I don't want any more of that. I'd like some more of this. And they finally get their plate arranged just right, only to begin to scatter it about a little bit further. Some of it goes off the plate onto the table. They try to put it into their mouth, but it doesn't quite get there. It hits their shoulder and trickles down on their chair. They get a little bit on their face. About halfway through the meal, they decide, I'm done. I want to get down now. And when you say to them, no, no, I'd like you to finish, they wrinkle up their face and they begin to cry. Now, question for you. How old is that child sitting at your table? Isn't the answer in your mind how old that child is directly related to how acceptable their behavior is? You see, if we are sitting with a one-year-old or a two-year-old, sometimes we even call that cute. We encourage it. They spill and we say things like, that's okay, no problem. Oh, he threw your vegetables. Wasn't that cute? Oh, you're done now. That's okay. You can get down. We call it cute and we're okay with that for a one-year-old, a two-year-old, four-year-old, whatever. But if you're newly married and you're sitting across from your 26-year-old bride and she does that, you're thinking, you know what, we, we might have a problem here. You know, we, we have that, don't we? We have that expectation of maturity, not just with food, but, but with behavior. You know, driving, a 16-year-old driver who's just getting started, we have one set of expectations there. And, and someone over here who has been driving for years and years, and all of a sudden they cut us off on the freeway or they do something that they shouldn't be doing, we think, ah, oh, boy, we shouldn't. You have a different set of expectations for you. We can look at a lot of different areas and think about that. There's a change of expectations as people get older, as they're around longer. Somewhere along those lines, we expect it. I'm wondering if just for a second you can think about that word maturity. I'm wondering if, if just, just right now where you're at, define that in your mind. Define maturity. How, how would you define that? Somebody help me out. How, how would you define maturity? Responsibility. Okay. Say it again. Respectful. Okay. Under control. Wisdom. To be able to tell the difference between right and wrong. Okay. Somebody else. Maturity. Discerning. Consistency. Doing some of those things over and over and over again. Uh huh. Uh huh. Okay. D- deeper growth. Beginning to learn a little bit. You know, we, we begin to think about that. We think about maturity. And, and sometimes we think about it in different ways, and it's a, it's a difficult thing to define. We can pull out different words. But if we ask ourselves about our expectations, we know that our expectations are that. Certainly for others and many times of ourselves. 
I'm wondering for you tonight as a, as a Christian, someone who knows Jesus, do you have the expectation of yourself that you will continue to mature? Not just get older, not just spend some time, not just have more birthday candles on your Christian birthday cake, but maturity. I think about Ephesians chapter 4, Paul writing to the Ephesians, and, and he says this, his, certainly his expectation was that of maturity. Listen to these familiar words in Ephesians 4, verse 11. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. You know, it was certainly Paul's expectation for maturity. We, we need to be full of grace. We need to be full of love. We need to be full of acceptance at all times. But we also need to walk that fine line between expecting growth and maturity in each other, in ourselves, in us as a church. You've got a passage right here in Hebrews chapter 11. Turn there with me, if you will. Hebrews chapter 5. And the scripture that you have up here is Hebrews 5, 11 to 14. You can look it up or you can follow along here. The expectation of maturity. Hebrews chapter 5. The writer of Hebrews says, we have much to say about this. He's been talking about Jesus, the high priest. He's been talking about understanding the deeper truths of Christ. We have much to say about this, but it's hard to explain because you're slow to learn. In fact, though, by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk but still being still an infant is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity. Not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that leads to death and faith in God. The writer of the Hebrews is talking right here that, you know what, we need to have that expectation. That we will continue to not only take in God's word. Not only be exposed to God's Word in an incredible place like this, a church different than a lot of churches I've been in, where God's Word is shared over and over and over again, and it's amazing. The Scripture memory class on Sunday morning here in between donut hour and the family Bible hour is amazing. That does not happen in a lot of places. And yet the expectation, I think, from God's standpoint and God's viewpoint is that it's not enough for us just to be around that. And to think that sometimes through, through osmosis or just through being exposed to it, that that's going to lead to maturity. No, it's awful easy for us to have lots and lots of God's Word around us. And yet to still lack maturity. The problem is that maturity is not natural, is it? It doesn't just happen. We may be advancing in years physically. And, and we see our bodies maturing. We may be advancing in our spiritual years. 
We may say, you know what, I came to Christ when I was eight or nine or, or four, or I've been a Christian a long time. But just hanging out as a Christian in Christian circles is not necessarily guaranteed maturity. It's like the familiar bumper sticker that says, I may be getting older, but I refuse to grow up. You know, we kind of we see that bumper sticker and we sort of laugh about that. Oh, I, I may be getting older, but I refuse to grow up. It's a hilarious thing in a bumper sticker and an incredibly sad thing within the church. But how easy it is to be immature. James Moore wrote a book called Seizing the Moments, and I want to share a little bit of that with you. If I can make this work. He, he talks about stages of maturity, and I want to share those with you. Stages of maturity. He talks about what it is to be a child, what it is to be an adolescent, and what it is to be an adult. And I believe the writer of Hebrews, I believe that God calls us to embrace adult Christianity. Even though sometimes we're going to experience childish Christianity and adolescent Christianity. James Moore writes this about these stages. That really the first stage of maturity is that of a child. And if there's a key word about child, it's the key word selfishness, isn't it? We see that in little kids. It's not a bad thing necessarily. We, we teach our kids, but the key word is selfishness. Really, do something for me. Help help me. Give me something. When we think about that, you think about being a child, that, that comes into focus a lot for us. And, and we don't have to go very far when we think about a child. And it's all about me. It's all about me and the focus is on me. And, and really, little kids, we don't have to teach them that. It just comes natural. And we have to teach the other side, don't we? To think about, you know what, you need to stop thinking so much about yourself and maybe think a little bit about your brother or your sister. Second stage he talks about is that of an adolescent. The key word for adolescent really is arrogance sometimes. You know what, uh, sometimes, not, not all, it, you know, all, this, is, this is a generality. It's not every single time. And I know there's a lot of young people in this church that, that are not arrogant. But sometimes when we get out in the world, the key, when we think about adolescence, really is arrogance. It says, I don't, I don't answer to anyone. Nobody's going to tell me what to do and leave me alone. I can take care of myself. Man, we think about that. We think, you know what, the, the key part is, uh, of an adolescent in that mature stage is, is arrogance. We get to the end. And we get to the, the stage of, of being an adult. This is trickier when you can't see your screen. I'll put somebody in the front row here for me. When I think about adult, really the key word here, the key word is love. When I think about adults, that from a mature standpoint, and we reach that stage where we go, you know what, I need to stop thinking about me. I need to stop being arrogant a little bit and saying, you know what, I don't need people. I do need people around me. And a key would be love. Let me do something for you. Let me serve you. And let me be a friend, a neighbor, a servant to others. You know, we see all of this in Luke chapter 15. A familiar story to us about the prodigal son. We see the stages, all of these. I think I've got them all on here. Our options become childish behavior. Do something for me. Adolescent behavior, arrogance. I don't answer to anyone. Or adult behavior. Let me do something for you. 
Let me serve you. Let me be a friend, a neighbor, a servant. You think with me for a second about the story in Luke chapter 15 of the prodigal son. In that story, we see a young man who embraces childish behavior, doesn't he? First, he says, you know what? In, in my mindset, give me my inheritance now. Now. What was he thinking about? Was he thinking about others? No, he was thinking about himself. You know what? Let, let, me, let, let me have my inheritance now. And I want to go off and I want to think about me. And then we get a little farther down. He ran away from home. After receiving his inheritance, thinking about himself, he, he, he had that adolescent, that, that arrogant attitude of saying, you know what, no one's going to tell me what to do. No one's going to tell me what to do. I, I know my own stuff. And we know that he went off and he spent all that. And finally he reached a, an attitude of, of adulthood, didn't he? Jesus told the story in Luke 15, said when he came to his senses. You know what? That happens so many times in our lives. We walk down a road where we're thinking about ourselves, or we're saying, you know what, nobody can tell me what to do. And we come to our senses. And the same was true with the prodigal son. He came to his senses, and what did he say? He said, you know what, I'm, I'm not worthy even to be called my father's son anymore. I'll be a servant. You hear the attitude? You hear what he was thinking about? I'll go back and I'll serve my dad. I'll serve family. I won't think about me anymore. But it's not just the prodigal son who struggle with maturity. Isn't it true that you and I sometimes struggle with maturity in a lot of areas of our life? As we reflect on these areas of childish or adolescent or adult behavior, I wonder if for a second you take some personal inventory in your own life. What, what about in your marriage or in your relationships? What, what, what kind of an attitude do you express to those people around you, to your husband or your wife or your friends? Is it an attitude of childish, you know what, make me happy. Please me. This, this relationship's all about me. Or in your marriage or in your relationships, is your attitude one of arrogance? You know what, you can't tell me what to do. I'll, I'll do what I want to do. I'll go out when I want to. I'll come in when I want to. I'll be a little bit selfish. Or is it an adult attitude in your relationships? Your husband, your wife, your friends. You know what? Let me, let me serve you. Let me serve you. Let me think about you. It's been said that some people spend way too much trying to find the right person instead of learning to be the right person. You know what? Only Jesus can cause us to be that right person. It's Jesus who takes and changes our mind and our heart and our attitude. You know, in our jobs, we can have those same kind of attitudes, childish, a childish approach to my job. What's in it for me? What's in it for me? How can I cut corners? How can I find loopholes? How can I get everything I can out of this job for me? Sometimes in our jobs, we have that adolescent attitude. We, we criticize and we complain. We rail against our bosses and management and owners. And we have that adolescent attitude that, you know what, they just don't get it. And I don't need them. 
Boy, what a challenge it is to have an adult attitude in our jobs. How can I serve the people around me? How can I make the people around me, even above me, more successful? Isn't that what Jesus would do in a job? Wouldn't he embrace an adult attitude, an adult perspective? You know, in the church, it's easy to have a childish attitude in our church. It's easy to come with the attitude that, you know what, I will come as long as it pleases me. As long as the worship is the way I like it, as long as the chairs are the way I like it, as long as the service schedule is the way I like it, as long as they teach and preach about stuff that I like, man, there's a lot of eyes in that, in that attitude. But it's so easy for us to come out to church with a childish attitude. It's easy to be a part of the church and have an adolescent attitude and to say, you know what, I don't really need the church. Oh, Sunday school, that's a good thing for my kids. Oh, the adult Bible, you know, that, that's a good thing. I don't need that. The scripture memory thing, I, I don't need that. Maybe there's a bit of arrogance in our own heart. Oh, how I think we need to come to the church with adult perspective. Let me serve. Let me look out for others. It's been said that there's no amount that can be accomplished if you don't care who gets the credit. I think we spend an awful lot of time trying to figure out how we're going to get credit. Somehow I don't think Jesus was about credit. And our challenge of letting our hearts, our minds be the same as that of Christ Jesus who humbled himself. As we come to the church, as you come to the church, is your attitude that of a child, an adolescent, or an adult? You know, our relationship with God. Sometimes we can be so immature when it comes to our relationship with God. We embrace the childish attitude that, God, you know what? Bless me. Hear my prayers. Think about me. And it's me, 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 me. Or sometimes... In our prayer life, or the absence of one, we treat God as an adolescent, a little bit arrogant, and we say, maybe not with our mouths, but with our lives, that you know what, God, I can do this alone. If I really get stuck, then I'll call on you. If, if I'm really in a bind, then I'll include you, Lord. Teacher, just put down a test. Lord, now's when I need your wisdom. Just got in a pinch at work. Now's when I need you, Lord. Things just went sideways in my life. Now's when I need you. But other than that, pretty adolescent, Lord, I can do it by myself. Oh, how God longs for us to come as adults with the prayer to make me a servant. Use me for your will, Lord. Use me for your will. I wonder if just for a few minutes tonight we could ask ourselves that question. How do we get there? How do do we and our hearts and desire, you know what, Lord, I want to have an adult attitude. I want to be mature. I I don't want to be part of the people that, you know what, even though I I should be a teacher by now, I, I still need someone to teach me. 
I know I should be chewing on solid meat, but I, I still need the milk. Maybe tonight you, you have some of those examples have hit home and you say, you know what? Man, in, in my marriage, I'm, I'm pretty childish. I have an awful lot of adolescence. Maybe in your job or maybe here in the church or maybe your walk with God. You say, you know what, I want to embrace maturity more. I want to challenge you to think about a couple things tonight. What is maturity? I think the first part of that is knowing God's Word. Knowing God's Word. Take take God's Word that you've got right there. And I want to challenge you to to move with me as we move through a couple of Scriptures. Look look at 2 Timothy 3.16. Knowing God's Word, 2 Timothy 3.16. You you know this verse, if you've been around your Bible, it says all Scripture is God-breathed. It's God's breath. It's God-breathed, His ideas, His words, His breath. And is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Knowing God's Word, knowing that this book right here, needs to be the very core, the very essence of my life. Turn back to Psalm, Psalm 119. Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. A light for my path. You know, it's the idea that, God, your word is here for me up close and for there out far. A couple nights ago when we were up in Lake Almanor, my wife and I would put the kids to bed and everybody kind of settled down. It was one of our last nights there and and we decided, you know what, let's go for a a beautiful walk under the stars. And out from my parents' house, there's a, a point you can walk out to this little bench, and that's where we were headed. And we were walking, and, and there wasn't much moon. There were a lot of stars, and I had a little teeny flashlight with me. But I kind of was thinking, you know what, I really don't want to use it. But as we're walking along, and, and, and all of a sudden, my wife, uh, she's holding my hand, and her hand tightens up, and, and she says, Phil, there's something close to me. And so I took that light, and I shined it to our right. And right there, about six feet away, was a skunk. And that skunk had his tail up. And we sat there and I, I softly, softly turned off my light and said, start walking quickly. And we, we took off and we started walking. But it was that light. Can you imagine if that thing would have sprayed us? First six rows would have been empty here tonight. But you know, it was that light that took us and, and in a moment illuminated right there. You know what? I, I think there's something going on. And, and that light allowed us to focus in on the danger close to us, far away. That's what God's Word does in our life. As we study God's Word, as we know God's Word, your Word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. But so many times we go on those walks of life, those journeys, we're out there and we leave our light. We haven't paid attention to the light. Oh, when Jesus was in the middle of the desert in temptation, when Satan came to him and tempted him, 
Jesus did not engage him in an argument. He didn't stop him and debate. He just quoted Scripture over and over and over and over again. Where do you and I get off thinking that if the Son of God, Jesus himself, knew Scripture and combated temptation with Scripture, why don't we need that? We do. Because those skunks of life are walking all over the place. And it's God's Word that allows us to see and avoid and evade danger. Earlier in the same chapter, Psalm 119 The writer asks a question that we should be asking. Verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. Seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You hear what he's saying? You know what? I I, want to keep my way pure. Again, I believe that, that our hearts, God has made us in such a way that we desire to walk with Him. God's created us with that. It's been called a God-shaped vacuum. That we know that we are incomplete. Sometimes it takes us a long time to articulate that and know that. But God's created us that way. And the psalmist writes, you know what, how, how can I keep my heart pure? And then he answers, by living according to your word. Living according to your word. Seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. Thanks. I've hidden your word in my heart. I've taken the time to hide your word in my heart. Just this morning, playing hide-and-go-seek with my four-year-old niece. And she's getting ready to go off in the house, and they're not very good hiders, but she knows that as adults, that, that you know what, we just need a little more time. So it's her turn to hide, and she says to me, you, you go in the room and, and count. And then she stops and says, count to a thousand. <laughs> I said, Gabrielle, I'll count, but I'm not going to a thousand. But you know what she knew? She knew that she needed some time to hide. She needed some time, and that was a big number in her mind. Hiding God's Word in our heart takes time. And too many times we want to drive through God's Word. We want to, you know, take it and digest it in 30 seconds, 45 seconds. Thank you, Lord, and I'm out. And the psalmist says, you know what, I've hidden it in my heart that I might not sin against you. Hebrews 4.12 tells us exactly what that word will do. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. Penetrates even the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. The idea in the verse 13 that everything is uncovered and laid bare 
That same word was used in biblical times of a wrestler and also used in a courtroom. As a wrestler was encountering his foe and they came around and were wrestling and they would lock eye to eye. That's the same word as laid bare. It was also used in a courtroom. That when somebody who was on trial was to respond to a judge, the guard would stand next to him and hold his sword right here under his chin so that his eyes would stay locked with the judge. You know, verse 13 tells us that nothing in creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Someday you and I will stand locked eyeball to eyeball, uncovered and bare. And what will that day be like? Oh, in our hearts we desire that that day would be a day that that we hear from our, our Lord, well done. Good and faithful servant. Well done. You were mature. You, you moved on from the high chair of Christianity. You stopped throwing your food around and spreading it around. And, and you actually began to, to look around at other people and serve. And you loved me. Well done. But the verse right before tells us that we've got to know God's Word. <coughs> It's sharper than a two-edged sword. And as we take that time to hide God's Word in our heart, that He'll use it to divide and judge our thoughts and our attitudes of the heart. You know, the heart is who you are. It's not this outward shell. You know, I, I, I love sports and I love to exercise. You know what, sometimes in our culture we spend so much time on the external. And we need to take care of it. But you know what, this is just a shell. It's our heart, it's our soul. Boy, some simple questions tonight for you to think about. How are you doing at hiding God's Word in your heart? When was the last passage you, you chewed on? You memorized, you meditated upon if we were to just take some inventory over the last week, the last ten days, the last month, have we spent more time on the shell or on our souls? Oh, take care of the shell, but nurture the soul. Grow your soul in Jesus Christ. If it's our desire to embrace maturity, we have to know God's Word. Second part of that, is putting God's Word into practice. Putting God's Word into practice. Think back to the, the passage in Hebrews 5. The passage I showed you a minute ago. Verse 14 says, But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. We know a lot of God's Word and, and, and we take it and, and we put it into our hearts. We need to spend that time memorizing and meditating and knowing God's Word. We've got to know this book. I guarantee our enemy knows this book. Look at how he treated Jesus. He quoted Scripture. He knew Scripture. And sometimes the battle 
So Romans talks about takes place right up here in our minds. And we're not to be conformed to the world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. How are you doing at renewing your mind? And then taking God's word and through his spirit, as his spirit convicts us and challenges us, guides us in truth, putting it into practice, training themselves to be godly. 1 Timothy 4.7 says this. 1 Timothy 4.7. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things holding promise both for the present life and the life to come. Physical training of some value. Train ourselves to be godly. 2 Corinthians 10, great passage. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, the weapons we have, God's Word, His Spirit, They have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. You know what? That's that's sometimes a a difficult passage and an overwhelming passage for me. Lord, you expect me to, to take every thought captive? It's thousands. It's tens of thousands every day. And yet Jesus and Luke said that we'll stand someday in account for every thought, every word. How do you do that? I think you do it one thought at a time. I think you break it down and and not allow ourselves to be overwhelmed. Because every bit of our life is made up of individual choices and moments. Part of maturity is knowing God's Word, but putting God's Word into practice. Our culture is so good at giving us the message that, you know what, you need to do what you think is right. You need to do what you feel. Our culture is so good at telling us, you know what, I know you know all that, but do what you feel. It can't be wrong because it feels so right. And guys, we're bombarded with that message over and over and over again. And it comes to us in in so many places. You deserve it. You do what you think is right. You do what you think you feel. And God's Word says, you know what? This is what needs to be the standard of our lives. We need to know God's Word. We need to put God's Word into practice. The key words I see in that passage in 2 Corinthians 10 are obedience and action. And as we do those two things, I believe God's Holy Spirit strengthens us. We're not asked to stand as men of God and women of God for the rest of our life. God just asks us to stand today. God just asks us to stand today. Asks us to stand tonight. And I believe God gives us the strength and the power to do exactly that. And tomorrow, Jesus said, it'll take care of itself. There's enough troubles tomorrow. Don't get caught up with that. Don't worry about that. But every day as we get started, are we willing to do those two things? You know what? Obedience and action. It's back to showing up and following up. 
And as I get up in the morning and say, you know what, Lord, here's my day. And I got all these things going on today in my day, Lord. I, I got so much going, I, I need to spend some time with you. And maybe it's as simple as writing down some three-by-five cards, some scripture that I want to memorize and think about. And meditating and chewing on it throughout the day. And saying, you know what, God, I want to know your word and I want to put it into practice. And God, give me the wisdom today. The wisdom today to walk with you. And that may mean that I need to break my day down into hours. Sometimes into minutes. Lord, I'm going into this meeting and it's going to be tough. I'm going to want to act what I feel like in this meeting. But Lord, help me to act in obedience to you and what I know. Lord, I'm going to school. I'm going to walk the halls here in another month. And it's tough on my high school campus. It's tough at my university. So Lord, I want to know your word. And I know what I feel like, Lord, but I want to do what's right. And so to do what's right, I've got to know God's word and I've got to put it into practice. Sometimes, guys, we make Christianity so complicated. And it's, it's complex, but it's not difficult. Remember Jesus' words, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I'm humble and hard. And he uses words easy and light. You know, the calling of the early disciples, Jesus said, come, follow me. And we can sit and we can diagram that and go, boy, I wonder, wonder what that meant. That's pretty clear. Come. It's invitation. Follow. I'm going to be here. You follow me. Me. Not tradition. Not what you think it is. Follow Jesus. Today, God's given us his word in our language, readily available to us. If it's my desire to to live my life, my Christian life, in a mature way, it's going to take knowing God's Word, putting God's Word into practice. And the third thing it's going to take is perseverance. Perseverance. If I'm going to define perseverance, it's keep on keeping on. Because there's going to be days, and there's going to be hours, there's going to be minutes, when all three of those things, child, adolescent, and adult, they're all a part of us, aren't they? There's times in my life where, you know what, I just embrace the childish attitude. It's about me right now. I know it shouldn't be. I know I don't want it to be. But it's about me right now. It's about me. You know, maybe it's just, I'm, I'm hungry. And, 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 I, and I, it's just about me. Other times, I, I know I don't want to be arrogant. I don't, I don't want to be exclusive. I don't want to say, you know what, I don't need you, but, but I can be honest, sometimes that's my attitude. Sometimes in the same minute, I can have childish and adolescent and adult behavior. Remember yesterday we talked about the Christian life. It's sometimes messy. But if I desire to get there in maturity, it's going to take perseverance. I love Luke chapter 8, verse 14. Jesus tells a story of, of God's word being sprinkled. He tells the, the, the parable of the sower. 
You know the parable. You know that the, the sower went out through the seed and it landed all over the place, didn't it? And the disciples look at him and say, ah, we don't get it. And he's explaining it to them. And he says in verse 11, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed's the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear and the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rock are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe it for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked out by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and, and they do not mature. But check out verse 15. But the seed on the good soil stands for those with a noble and a good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by perseverance produce a crop. How's the crop in your life? How's God's word growing in your life? We should see that in all those relationships we were talking about. I belong to Jesus. He saved me. He set me apart. And as I work out my Christianity, not my salvation, that's from God. As I work out my relationship with Him, how am I doing it showing up in my marriage and my relationships? My job, here in my church, out there in the world. So many times we put those two things separate. You know what, I'm a Christian on Sundays or Mondays or Tuesdays and then I get out here and I do my own thing. And God says, no, I want those two things to be together. Maturity comes from knowing God's Word. From putting God's Word into practice and through perseverance. Some of you are getting beat up a little bit. Maybe your spiritual chin's hanging a little bit tonight and you say, you know what, I ah, I just feel like I just can't get it done. And maybe the message tonight is just that, that you need to persevere. You need to say, you know what, Lord, I, I haven't been getting it right, but I want to get it right. I want to know more of your word. I want to put it into practice. I want to persevere. But the seed on the good soil stands for those with a noble and a good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by perseverance produce a crop. Keep on keeping on. Sometimes we're so hard on ourselves as Christians. We expect a perfection. And you know what? Perfection this side of heaven is not going to happen. It's not. How you doing tonight? How you doing this week? I challenge you to think about that. That you know what? God calls us to be mature. It's His expectation. And maturity comes our way through knowing God's Word, through putting it into practice, day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute, hiding it in our hearts, and through persevering. And perseverance for ourselves, but also allowing the people around us to persevere. That's called grace, isn't it? It's seeing those people around us who have fallen down or made some mistakes. And sometimes it takes us to get into their life and say, you know what? Persevere. You'll be all right. You'll be all right. Get up and keep going. Writer of Proverbs said, 
The difference between a righteous man and a wicked man is that the righteous man gets up even seven times when he falls. But the wicked man stays down. There's a little bit in us that we love those Rocky movies. Rocky's beat and he's beat and he's beat and all of a sudden the music starts. He gets up. You know what? That needs to be our attitude as Christians. Sometimes I'm going down. Sometimes I act like a child or an adolescent. I want to be mature. And even when I fall down, perseverance. God, I'll jump right back into your word. Lord, I'll put your word into practice. And I'll keep going. Let's pray together. And as we pray tonight, I wonder for you and your heart, what do, you, what do you need to say to God tonight? Before you talk to your husband or your wife or before you talk to your kids or your friends, what is it that you need to say to the Lord? And Lord, I thank you for your amazing goodness in our lives. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for being the God of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And Lord, I pray that we would be men and women who walk with you and who walk with each other and our friends with maturity. Lord, I pray that we would be people that know your word. Not just in word, but in deed. Our lives would be characterized by that. And then, Lord, I just pray by your spirit for perseverance. Oh, it's so easy to fall. So easy to stumble. So easy to get off track. So, Lord, I just pray for those tonight, my brothers and sisters in Christ, that you would give abundant amounts of grace. Even as the prodigal returned to his father's open arms, Lord, tonight help us to see you with open arms. Lord, we love you and we want to be mature. Help us in Jesus to live that way. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for tonight. Um, we'll be back tomorrow night. And uh, tomorrow night we'll give a little glimpse of our ministry in, in Quito, along with the challenge from God's Word, a little glimpse and uh, some, some slides, uh, PowerPoint of, of what we're doing and where we're at. And also I've asked my wife to share a little bit um, tomorrow night too. So thanks for being here tonight, and we'd love to see you tomorrow night too. Amen.